So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this breath that you've given us. Lord, we know that we have nothing of our own. Father, it's only what you have given us. And so God, we use what you have given us, Lord, to pour out your praise, to bring glory to your name. Lord, we love you so much. Let our lives reflect that, Lord. Let our praise be evidence of that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. It is great to see you today. Uh, we've just celebrated a fantastic Christmas season. And I have suspected a lot of our houses, Christmas has already been packed up, put back in the box. You might not have gotten the lights outside yet. You're waiting for it to get above 10. But, um, you know, it's time. You're packing up. And yet there's something about Christmas that I just, I hate to let it go. I just hate to let it go. It's a beautiful season. It reminds us really of what life is all about. And so today, our, our gospel reading is going to just kind of take us back one more time to the birth of Jesus and to these wise men, these men from the East, who came to worship a Savior. And as I think about their story, I am struck by this. All they saw was a star, and they started to follow. The Bible doesn't say that, that angels appeared and said, see that star? Go. It does. They saw a star, and they started to follow. And in our lives, quite often, um, we have an inkling, a sense. We're supposed to do something. We're supposed to make a move. Do we trust the God enough to take the steps he's asking us to take? So let's listen to their story today in light of the fact that all they knew was there's a star. Let's follow. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as, everyone, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So as we start into this new year and continue our own spiritual journeys, following where God might lead, we have a prayer for you today coming on the screen. I'm, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to leave it up there for a couple of moments of silence for you to reflect on it. And then rather than walking toward a star, we're going to walk toward a table, one of four tables in the room, where we will be able to celebrate what Jesus did for us in his death, burial, and resurrection. The prayer reads, O oh God, 
who am I now? Once I was secure in familiar territory in my sense of belonging, unquestioning of the norms of my culture, the assumptions built into my language, the values shared by my society. But now you have called me out and away from home, and I don't know where you are leading. I am empty, unsure, uncomfortable. I have only a beckoning star to follow. Journeying God, pitch your tent with mine so that I may not become deterred by hardship, strangeness, doubt. Show me the movements I must make toward a wealth not dependent on possessions, toward a wisdom not based on books, toward a strength not bolstered by might, toward a God not confined to heaven, but scandalously earthed, poor, unrecognized. Help me find myself as I walk with you. Again, these words will remain on the screen for the next couple of moments. Pray them, think about them as you think about your own journey into the unknown. And then when the music begins, move to one of the four tables for communion. This morning, God, we rest in the fact, the truth, the assurance that we are completely and fully loved by God. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending us, Jesus, so that we could know for sure that you exist, and not only that you exist, but that you care. Thank you for the way that you showed your care by sending him as a baby, by sending him as a man to die on a cross, by raising him to new life. As we journey into this new year, give us guidance as we need it. Help us to know the path that you have set before us, and then to have the courage to follow. Even sometimes when not all the details are known, give us the courage to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the lights are coming up for you so that you can take out your folder. And on the inside is a card, and that card, we'd like you to use that to go ahead and tell us your name. You know, if you've changed in the last couple of weeks, go ahead and put that down and let us know who you are. If you have any updates in your life, you changed an address, you changed an email address, you're on your 33rd cell phone number, go ahead and put that down and get those things on there. And on the back side, you're offered in that little box some, some options of things that are going around and on around the church that you might want to learn about or something. But your first time, go ahead and fill out whatever you're comfortable filling out. And then actually when you're done today, instead of putting that card in the offering, you can take yours out to the, to the guest area and uh, we have a gift that we want to go ahead and give you. So we hope you'll take advantage of that opportunity and we thank you for being here with us today. Well, we start a new year. And as we do, we're going to start a new series. And the series is called Live Well. Now, don't get deceived by the apple up there. I just needed something that looked cool. We're not going to talk about healthy eating. Not yet. Not at least until I lose about 30 pounds. Then we'll, then we'll talk. But as long as I'm a hypocrite, we're going to just go with the apple being beautiful. So anyway, we're going to talk about living well. What does that look like? You know, a lot of times we start a new year. And we'll do a series that gives steps on how to set off the new year right and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I'm 53 and I'm realizing those usually last until January 23rd. And then we wait until next year to start all over. We need something more. We need something that just doesn't involve a set of, here, I'm going to do this or that, but something deeper, more meaningful, that's going to guide us along the path of life. And so what we're going to be talking about this month is what it means to live a life of wisdom. 
And we're going to look at three books in the Bible. We're going to overview them. We're going to overview Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And I know that's a lot of territory for 30 minutes each time. But we're going to overview those, uh, those chapters or, or those books. And as we do, we're going to look at what does it mean to live wisely. Well, I thought we'd start out today, uh, since we're at kind of a crease between Advent and then this new series, to talk about what does it mean to live wisely as a church As we're operating together as a church family, what does it mean to live out wisdom as the family of God? And, you know, a lot of times uh, in churches, you you may be fairly new to us. We don't always talk a lot about who we are and how we operate. And so I thought today would be one of those good days to just stop. And if, if you've kind of come on over the past couple of months, and you're going, you know, I like the preaching, I like the music, I like the people. What's this joint all about? It'll help me to understand. That's what we're going to talk about today. Just getting an idea of what does it mean for Southfield to live wisely together. We, um, we as a church have decisions that we need to make all the time. Decisions as to what programs we're going to pursue, what needs in the community we're going to address. What are the things that we're going to take on? What are the things that we're going to take on in the lives of people, the people that are here as well as the people around us? There are thousands and millions, you could literally say billions of needs in the world. There are as many needs in the world as there are people, and everybody probably has three needs at least. So, I mean, there are lots and lots and lots of needs. How do we choose? Well, one thing we could do is just scan the internet, go ahead and find out what the needs are, and jump on one or the other. I found one recently, it was referred by a friend, so just making a suggestion, go ahead and watch this. Why don't you click, Bob? I was at church one day, and... The speaker that day was, um, was different. I just sat there with tears in my eyes, learning about this ministry that was revolutionizing the planet. I'm talking, of course, about Millennial International. The need is enormous. There are over 10 million millennials out there who have graduated with no work ethic, no job, no discernible skills at all, and they have expenses. Housing. Student loans. Credit card debt. And I didn't really realize the magnitude of the problem until I looked into the eyes of a millennial, and I saw that face with the the dead, nothing's happening up here kind of thing. So I went out to the booth after the service, and I talked with the guy, and he really informed me about the devastation that's not being able to fund a millennial lifestyle. Core Power Yoga. Birch Box for Men. I looked over all the envelopes and my heart was really touched when I saw this one particular fellow that I I just had to get more information about him. He was uh, Declan from Beverly Hills. I am an uh, aspiring photographer. I graduated college with an art degree, so obviously that puts me at a disadvantage. Volkswagen Jetta lease. Beard Wax. Spotify Premium. In his last letter, he wrote to me and said that his uh, weekend was, oh, how did he put it, Um, totes lit fam. Literally have no idea what that means. Spin cycle membership. Pet food for my rescue dog. Uber's home from a pub crawl. 
A typical sponsorship program costs $29 a month. Millennial International is actually $2,900 a month. Yeah, it seems expensive at first, but when you see the need, it is so worth it. Trunk Club subscription. Essential oils. Annual pilgrimage to Bethel Church. It's the same as a traditional sponsorship program, uh, except instead of getting, say, a soccer ball for his birthday, he's getting an Audi. Am I capable of having a job? Sure, but I just feel like... Maybe employment right now would just kind of be stifling my creativity. Through the sponsorship program, they actually set up a chance for us to meet each other in person. I brought him an apple pie that my wife had baked for him, but I totally forgot he's gluten-free, so he couldn't eat it. I mean, obviously, I've seen Food Inc., so I don't eat the traditional meals like everybody else. For breakfast, they usually do, like, some kombucha juice. He really didn't have much energy that week, and it turns out, you know, he was on a juice cleanse. And I wanted to respect that. My wish for Declan... <laughs> Uh, that he would realize his potential in life, that he would be better, achieve more. I've been getting blue ribbons and participation trophies my whole life. What do you expect? For me, if it wasn't for the program, I'd have to get a job. Or worse, start a GoFundMe. Many of these kids in traditional sponsorship programs are fighting diseases like malaria, pneumonia, tuberculosis. And these millennials have the same struggle. Peanut allergies, pollen sensitivity, lactose intolerance. Kids in Africa are getting typhoid. Declan was recently diagnosed with tennis elbow. I was originally paying vision and eye care insurance for him, but it turns out his eyeglasses weren't even real. To me, you can't put a price on friendship. Join me in sponsoring a millennial today and help us Help us. Help us. Help us live the lives we portray on Instagram. Oh, 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 oh. You can't believe we did that in church, right? The millennials were laughing the hardest. Come on, let's face it. And, and in reality, that thing was designed by some pot-smoking Woodstock attending hippie boomer, so you know, who has a big old log growing out of his eye trying to pick the splinter out of the eye of some poor millennial. Yeah, that's probably not the way to figure out what we're going to do. Just go scanning the internet. One of the things that a lot of churches do and uh, organizations do is talk about vision. Vision is important, isn't it? Uh, King James Version of the Bible said, Without vision, people perish. Vision is really important. I get a little nervous about vision sometimes. You know, it's kind of funny. 2017 is here, and so I'm quite certain that within the next couple of weeks, a lot of churches and organizations are going to be announcing their 2020 vision. It's there. It's just there for the taking, right? 2020 is just three years away. I get a little nervous about vision sometimes when we talk about it um, because to me it sometimes can feel a little bit presumptuous, like we're trying to determine what God might want us to do. It can, it, can, it can even sometimes feel a little bit manipulative. I was at a conference one time, pastor I really admire. He had been on a trip to the Holy Land and went down to Mount Sinai, went on Mount Sinai, got a vision for, from God of what his church was supposed to do, came back and talked about the great building project they were going to do and all this stuff. Now, how do you argue with somebody who comes back with a vision from Mount Sinai? I mean, the last time people argued with someone that came down from Sinai with a vision, there was an earthquake and they got swallowed up. And so I, I, I get hesitant sometimes talking about vision because it can feel a little bit audacious. I think in reality, when we talk as a church about 
what we're supposed to do, it's got to grow out of who we are. It's got to grow out of our identity. It's not so much about us deciding we're going to do this or that in 5, 10, or 15 years, but it's about us just being us, being us. And then as needs come our way, as opportunities come our way, we look and ask ourselves the question, does that fit with who we are? And sometimes we will say an absolute yes. That is something God wants us to pursue. And sometimes we'll say that is a tremendous need, no doubt. But it doesn't fit with the personality of our church. It doesn't fit with the calling of our church. And so this morning, I thought we'd just do a quick review of understanding uh, who we are as a church and what we're about. Really, there are four core passages that set the foundation for everything we're about. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Some of the last words Jesus said on this earth. He said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. You know what I love about that? Our leadership team doesn't have to go into a back room and figure out a mission statement for our church. Jesus declared it 2,000 years ago. He said, this is what you're supposed to be doing. He said, I've been the one that's been given the authority to give you this authority. You're to be a disciple-making church. You're to be in the business of making sure that people who don't know God get to come to know God, and then when they know God, they get to know what it means to grow in walking with God. And that's what we're all about. So anytime an opportunity comes our way, we have to ask that question, does it sincerely match with the process of making disciples? There are lots of good things we could do, but some of them fall short of that standard of being a true disciple-making church. You go over to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and you have this beautiful picture of the church in, in the moments after its formation. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the church with fire. And now you have the church in its purest form. And the passage starts by saying, they devoted themselves. And I love that word, devoted. When I think of the opposite of devoted, the antonym, I think of the word dabbled. They tried a little bit of this. They tried a little bit of that. They gave it a whirl. They decided it didn't work. Devoted means we're all in on this. We, this is what we're about, period, no question. What does it say that they were devoted to? It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were apo- devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to using their giftedness and sharing with each other. And they were devoted to seeing the world around them, one for Jesus Christ. They were all in on these things. It wasn't a, eh, I'll just do it on Sunday and then forget about it. I mean, it says they were in the temple courts all the time, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. If you were to go onto our website along the top, you'll see a tab that says about us, and then you bring that down and it talks about beliefs. And under that, it talks about what it means to be this kind of church. We call it Church 101. And what it says is, as a church, this is what we'll be doing. We'll be devoting ourselves to biblical teaching. I promise you, I have a lot of amusing thoughts. And they could take up 30 minutes every week. But we would literally be wasting our eternal time if all we did was listen to the random thinking of Dennis. There's something far more important for us to understand. We need to understand what the Bible says. That's God's message to us. And we want to live out that biblical teaching 
The Bible in relationships talks about we need spiritual friendships. That, that's part of what they were doing. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to being together. And, you know, when you look at that in itself, what we understand is that that is a huge defining piece of what it means to be church. In our modern times, with all the technology we have, we could go ahead and just deliver this message. We could deliver this whole Sunday morning to you as you lay comfortably in your bed. You would not have to move. You, I mean, you could have your coffee, you could have your breakfast, all there, and you could just watch what happens on a Sunday morning. But if we're understanding Acts chapter 2, we've got to get out of our bed. And we've got to get here. Because the spiritual relationships are where life change happens. That's, that's the sandpaper of life. Where sometimes we'll be encouraged by someone, where to be honest, sometimes we'll be bugged by someone. All those relationships are going on, and every time those things happen, they open a door for our growth and for the growth of the other person. Are we going to walk through those doors? This passage encourages dynamic worship. The breaking of bread is emblematic of communion, of the love feast that took place, and honestly, it's just, it's all about being a worshiping community together. It talks about prayer, a prevailing prayer. They prayed and prayed and prayed. And many times in the book of Acts, you see the church praying and miraculous things come from the hand of God. We see them using their gifts and sharing with each other selflessly. Just a selfless serving going on all the time. They're not looking for what's in it for them to make sure that if I help you this time, you'll help me next time. No, there's a selflessness about their serving And then the last thing it says, the Lord added daily those who were being saved. And in that, what we see is that it was a compelling community. What do we mean by compelling community? This place is so cool that other other people want to be here. And this place is so cool that other people want to know why we're cool. And they find out we're cool because Jesus is cool. You know? I know, that's a great 1973 word. But anyway, people want to see a church that they say, Wow, something good going on there. I want to be a part of that. And ultimately, they realize it's not just because we're good. It's because we serve a really good God. And that compels them to come to Christ. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 is foundational to who we are. Luke 15 is foundational to who we are. Amazing chapter. I love this chapter. This chapter literally brings me to tears. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. As we look and see that lost people matter to God and they should matter to us as well. And if they don't matter to us, something's wrong with us. If they don't matter to us, we are missing out on our calling as a church. I hate to say it, but there was a time in the history of our own church that everybody cared about the club, but nobody cared about the street. Everybody cared about what was going on on the inside, but nobody was really caring about what was going on on the outside. That's when we cease to be a true, dynamic church. God calls us to be looking beyond ourselves to people who do not yet call Christ home. And you see that in the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and how each time the angels rejoice as one more lost person comes safely home to God. He calls us to be that. 
Now, sometimes people hear that Luke 15 thing and they get all nervous because they're like, well, wait a second, you're, you're all about outreach and you're not about growth. Well, let's face it. If your calling is to be a disciple-making church, you're not just bringing people to God, you're growing people up in God. You're helping them to grow closer to God. And so the final passage that is formative for us is Galatians 4.19. And I love the way Paul expresses this. Even though he never went through child labor himself, this is what he says. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And that will continue until Christ is fully formed in your lives. I love what he says here because what he's, what he's saying is we will go through anything and everything, hardship, misery. We will go through whatever we need to go through in order to see that you become more and more and more like Jesus. Sometimes, you know, people are really excited to be involved in bringing somebody closer to Jesus when everything's going well. But let's face it, when we're really helping a person to grow closer to Jesus, sometimes we come up against their junk. And they come up against the junk in our own lives. And that sort of thing, you know, are we willing to continue to labor through that or do we just give up and give in? These passages, we cannot back away from them. This forms who we are. Now beyond that, on our website you find that we talk about our core values. And our core values are really, this is our personality, This is the way we live out these passages. And truth be told, we have five listed. We probably have a few more values than that, okay? But but these are are prime. These are essential. They really matter to us. When you come around here and you're around here long enough, you start to recognize some things that might be a little different than another church you went to. And that's not to say that they're bad and we're good or we're bad and they're good. It's not that at all. It's to say this is part of our personality, This is how we're designed. This is how we live out the calling that God has given us. So if you look at it, now I'm actually starting at the bottom of the list and going to the top. The last one says, we give our best and give our all. It says, we believe wholeheartedly that excellence honors God and inspires people. A a line we lifted in love. We strive to do our best and give our best. While we embrace excellence, we never want to confuse high standards with perfectionism. Perfection is an impossible and paralyzing standard, creating a critical and deflating environment. The widow's best in the Bible was two pennies. While most could have given much more, she gave all she had. That's what God wants for for every one of us to do and give our best, not someone else's. Part of what I love about this dynamic of our church is not that we're perfectionistic and obsessive, but that we say, if we're going to do it for God, we're going to do it right. If we're going to do it for God, we're going to do it our best. Sometimes you'll, get, you'll catch an attitude from people that says something like, well, it's, it's, it's only for church. I mean, why should, it's not like I'm doing this for my job. It's not like I'm doing this for money. I'm just a volunteer. Just the opposite. Because we're doing this for God, we are going to do our best and give our best. Absolutely. That's a, that's a piece of our personality. One of the pieces of our personality is we speak our generation's language. The Bible's message is timeless. The message doesn't change. 
Just because in 2000, what is it, 17, our culture is declaring certain things certain ways, doesn't matter. The Bible's message is timeless. But the methods used to communicate God's message change constantly, and they should. Every generation speaks its own language, whether it is the version of the Bible we use, the style of music we play, the technology we incorporate, or the words we choose to communicate in conversation. We do all we can to relay with clarity and simplicity. You won't hear a lot of Christianese in sermons or conversations. Christianese, you know Christianese, all those words that people like to use, those, those ones that sound very spiritual and everybody else goes, huh? I mean, just say hallelujah sometime in a, in a normal conversation. Watch people go, what was that? We don't, we don't do Jesus jargon. We don't do Christianese. We try to talk in a way that the people around us go, I get what you're saying. In fact, sometimes people will talk about me and they're like, I don't quite get you. You, you talk kind of common. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I suspect Jesus did the same thing. And I suspect anybody that was trying to communicate what God wanted to communicate effectively, that's what Martin Luther did. That's what the reformers were doing. They were trying to communicate effectively in the language of their time. Then we have this one, come as you are. Oh, but don't end there. Get ready to transform. At Southfield, it's okay to not be okay. No baggage, background, sin, habit, or hang-up or circumstance can keep you from the love of God or from being loved by us. And then comes the magic word, but. But Jesus also loves you too much to let you stay where you are, and so do we. We are far from perfect, but as his followers, we are on a steady journey toward becoming more like Jesus. Life change is what we're all about. So what you'll find around here is we welcome everybody. But much like Jesus, Jesus would welcome someone, and as they were leaving, he'd say, now go your way and sin no more. He would challenge them. And truth be told, sometimes people don't like the challenge. Sometimes people like to say, I want to stay right where I am. It's lovely that you want to stay right where you are. That's not where God wants you to stay. God wants you to grow toward his standard. God wants you to grow to become like his son. And so we will, in as loving a way possible, challenge you to grow. Come where you are. Come where you are. It's important that we come where we are, just as I am. But then we start to grow from where we are, to be more and more like Christ. I love this one. We aspire to be authentic. Authenticity is a powerful attractor. Around our church, real is the name of the game. We have a pretty good handle on who we are. We're sinful, broken, and imperfect. We're not proud of it. We just know it is true. And we don't pretend to be someone or something we are not. Pretenders get pretty uncomfortable at Southfield. Authenticity is in our DNA. We can't help it. Jesus was real, and we, chose to, and we choose to be like him in every way. So I, it's, I think to me, so here's, and we'll hit the last one, but I think one of the great tests of whether or not we're living out these values is not when we sit in a small group of people that have been attending the church for 20 years and talk about how wonderful we are, but when someone who's been coming just a few weeks says, something smells around here, and I don't think it's the bathroom. Something's, I'm trying to figure out what the smell is. Something's different here. I can't quite figure it out. I can't quite put a handle on it. But as they, as they start to work through it, here's what they say. There's something real happening here. There's something real happening here. And, I'm, and I, I, mm, what is that? 
what's that? Real can't be faked. It just can't be faked. God calls us to be real, to be authentic, to be who we are in our journey. Which brings us to the really what is the first one on the list and the last one we'll look at. It's not about me. What would happen if everyone lived by this one principle? It would completely change marriages, workplaces, schools, and communities. It would change Monday morning traffic. Our world is obsessed with selfies. In a narcissistic age, we are called to a different standard. Jesus was the only person who ever had the right to make the, wor- to make the world about himself. And even he said, it's not about me. In Mark ten forty five, he said, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. We believe as Jesus changes our lives, he'll give us more grace and more of his heart to live selflessly for the sake of others. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about others. Who are the others? I I think of two others that matter an awful lot. One is any person who does not yet have a relationship with God. We've always got to be thinking about the people who do not yet have a relationship with God. Vital. And then beyond that, I think we always need to be thinking to the next generation. What's going on in the next generation that we can do to minister to them to make sure that they are put in a place of absolute effectiveness and strength so that they will be able to lead from here forward? And, and, you know, sometimes as we get a little bit older, it's easy for us to say, hey, wait a second, I've heard it before. We're paying the bills. We're doing all the work. Why should we do that for them? Because someone did it for you at some point or you wouldn't be here right now. We're always looking to the next generation. If we're not the ones looking to the next generation, there won't be a next generation. It's always our responsibility to look beyond us to the next and the next and the next generation to be served. So last week, we had a conversation about um, something that we'd like to do around here that we're pretty excited about. Something that I believe is in line with our values and what really matters to us. And not just the values we talked about this morning, but others that we could list. We're talking about adding a little space around here. And the addition of the space would help in a few ways. It would help, for one thing, to provide a student area that is indestructible. And and believe me, that's important. It really is. It's important for our students to be able to to spread their elbows and, and, and... bump a wall and, and break their arm instead of the drywall. So we're, we're looking to add an indestructible student space that will go just to the other side of this wall. Now, if you go out there today and look, that's not a, we're not talking about you know, a huge gym or something like that, but it's a space in which they can meet. If you were to go out this door right here, off to that area, you'd find something of a, a reception area. A place that as people come to us during the week, they know where to go and they're able to be meted and greeted and, and, and find, find home here. There will also be some staff workspace. I think as, as we look to the future, we've got to make sure that, that our staff is able to be in a place all together, that they're able to work together and grow and vision together, and so that's really, really important. And like we said last week too, we're looking at a few more spaces out in that parking lot. 
I've got this neighbor. He does not come to our church. Every time I talk to him, his conversation begins with, you know I'm a Catholic. I, 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 you know, I, I, I don't ever push church, and it always begins with, you know I'm a Catholic. Yeah, I know. St. Anne's, great. Have a great day. But he says, you know I'm a Catholic. And then he says, been driving by your church on Sunday mornings. Wow, you have a parking problem. I mean, it's kind of cool when the guy who doesn't come to our place looks at our parking lot and says, you have a parking problem. And he says it every time we talk. And I don't have to tell you because some of you have circled Jericho seven times waiting for someone's car to fall, and it did not. Uh, so we're looking at adding some space. We're going to continue throughout the next few weeks to share some details with you on that. But I I say all this this morning to say I I don't stand here to pronounce some vision that I've received from Sinai and you all need to go along. I'm here to say it's important for us as we move ahead with this and other things to ask ourselves the question, who are we? And does who we are match what we're pursuing? And if it does, it just might be the calling of God. But if it doesn't, we have a pretty good idea that it does not. I got a devotional this morning. I'll close with this. It says, we often want to be able to see into the future. We say, how will the next year be for me? Where will I be in five or ten years from now? There are no answers to these questions. Mostly we have just enough light to see the next step. And what we have to do in the coming hour or the following day. The art of living is to enjoy what we can see and not complain about what remains in the dark. When we are able to take the next step with the trust that we will have enough light for the next step that that follows, we can walk through life with joy and be surprised at how far we can go. Let's rejoice in the little light we carry and not ask for the great beam that would take us all the way into the shadows. The little light we have is knowing who we are and who God is. That's the light we have. The darkness out there is where he's taking us. And we'll get there one step at a time. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, I am in love with this church. And I thank you for it. I mean, I just, I honestly could never dream that this place could be so good. That these people, that we could be growing more and more toward you all the time. And the joy that would bring all of us. I thank you for the authenticity that we see here. I thank you for the courage, the love, compassion, all the things that bubble up from this place. You have been good to us as we've been willing to move toward you. Help us to continue to make those moves, we pray, Father. And as we make decisions about ministry, whether it's how to minister to someone of the next generation or what to do with the facility, I pray that we would not get bogged down in the details of the what and that we'd always come back to the who. Who are we and who are you, God? And as we focus on that, we'd have just enough light to take the next step. In Jesus' name, amen. So our servers are coming right now to receive the offering. Brian's headed on up here.
for a little bit of conversation. Uh, clearly, one of the things that is important for you is that second page in your flyer today, that second page that talks about the groups that you can sign up for. Um, boot camp is two days away. Uh, it's kind of fun to watch the registrations come in, and a lot of them have the word boot camp on them. Bob's ankle is miraculously healed, so the torture is scheduled and ready to go. Uh, you have some stuff for us about retreats. Yeah, so our the high schoolers and our junior hires are going to be heading up to Lake Geneva, uh, Lake Geneva Youth Camp, for Arctic Blast in the n- upcoming weeks. We actually have two weeks until our high schoolers leave, three weeks until our junior hires leave. Now, the important thing is that registration is actually closing tomorrow. Tomorrow is the last day to get signed up. And I know that some of you are panicking now. You're like, oh, I've been meaning to do that forever. Please go to southfieldchurch.com, go to news and events and get signed up today. Now, I've heard a lot of excuses on why, you know, certain kids don't want to go. Oh, well, there's, there's winter jam. That's the weekend winter jam is every year. Uh, no, not this year. Winter jam's in March, all right? Uh, so that's not an excuse. I've heard, Spring well, jam. I've already been there, and I, I don't really want to do that again. Well, this is something completely different, and that's not an excuse. So come sign up. Uh, I've, I've got a list of other excuses, but you know what? Uh, it, trips are just, they're, they're the best opportunity for us to get to know your kids. So whether your kid wants to go or not, go sign them up today. Uh, <laughs> And again, I, I promise it's, it's going to be a really moving, meaningful time for us to be able to invest in them. And if, again, if you're a student who hasn't signed up, go tell your mom and dad, hey, I want to go. All right. So again, uh, that's coming up real quick. So please get signed up today. Great. Some of you asked for our song list from last week. It's in the middle of your flyer there. So you have that if you want to go ahead and make up a, a playlist on iTunes and listen to those songs all the time want to remind you that all the time at the end of a service, this table right up here, there's a person here available to pray for you, with you if you want. Also on your way out the door, there are always Bibles on the tables, offering envelopes, pens, all those things are there. Go ahead and take what you need, uh, whatever, whatever will help you out. Those things are, are there for you. So we close our time today with uh, something that's sitting on, on the desk here today. It's a prayer card from yesterday. Yesterday, right down here, we had the funeral for Linda Baltz. Linda's been here at our church a little over a decade. Uh, She's 70 when she died. And um, her last decade was one of her greatest decades of spiritual growth. It's incredible. It's not like she hit retirement and said, now I can stop growing. And she grew with some of you as she journeyed with you in journey groups and sat with you in church and just continued to grow in her relationship with God. And uh, it, it reminds me that this coming week will be the um, anniversary of the death of someone a lot of you don't know anymore, but my friend Carol Morris worked with us in the office, was just someone who prior to coming here did not have a relationship with God. And then she did. And she grew like a weed. And when she left this life, she could say with confidence, I know I will see God face to face. There is an urgency about what we do. I'm going to sound a little sick right now. I love funerals. Because they remind us there is an urgency about what we do. I think it was the ever so wise Jocelyn Elders who said, we'll probably all die of something. Yeah. We're all going to die. 
and after that the judgment, will we see God face to face or not? This is our calling to make sure people come safely home to God. That's who we are. Let's never forget it. There is an urgency about what we do. Stand together with me and we'll pray. Father God in heaven, our prayers go out today to to Jamie and Mark, to Ashley and Blake and Rachel, to Linda's mom, brothers, son, all those she's left behind in this world. But God, we know full well, as much as she misses them, on her seventh day in heaven, she would never want to come back. She has seen Jesus face to face. And she loves where she is. And she'd love for us to be there too. And Carol would love for us to be there too. And everybody else in heaven would love for us to be there too. Give us that sense of urgency to make sure that not only do we have a relationship with God, but that others have the opportunity as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You enjoy your week. Stay warm if you can.